Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, <laughs> a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, a boycott of Ivanka's business, Big League versus Big Lee, a letter to Trump loving relatives, plus Black Jeopardy, opium soaked tampons, and a teen meninous tweet. <laughs> Good reply to being WikiLeaked, and some listener questions, including Is it wrong to want to only hire women? and a baby feminist friend zone dilemma. Gina's taking a photo of us right now because we are IRL in the same place again. We're in the same bed. What's up, California King? I mean, is this a California King? Yeah. This feels queenie to me. That's ludicrous. A third person could fit in this bed. Um, How are you doing in these last days of the election? When Gina got here, I told her that I've been to see you next Tuesday for 72 (laughs) hours. You mean a charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent? Yes, (laughs) woman. I am like stressed out, not just about the election, about life in general, but you know, I was watching MSNBC all day today. Okay, and, that's uh, your first problem, watching first, cable news all day. Listen, it was just in the background, but every time mm. Chris Matthews came on, he always said, the election is in two weeks plus two days. And he got really excited about it. And I was like, you know what? Chris Matthews, you're right. Almost at the finish line. That's because Chris Matthews gets like a vacation or whatever at the end yeah, of those no. two Chris weeks. Chris Matthews just loves elections. He's been here since like the first one we ever had. <laughs> It's true, as a hologram. Do you know what Chris Matthews' favorite movie is? Is this like a knock-knock joke that I'm supposed to know? So it's a love, actually, and he legit (laughs) finds a way to work it in, in every single thing. (laughs) Talking to Valerie Jarrett. You know my favorite movie, Love Actually. He'll be talking to a TSA official, and he's like, you know in my favorite movie, Love Actually, in the airport. Like, he talks about it once a week. (laughs) I can't handle that. Now you know my dirty secret of watching cable news at 5 (laughs) p.m. Every day. And not as dirty as Chris Matthews' secret about Love Actually. <laughs> well, uh, Love Actually is a great movie. Mm. I'm not going to die on this hill. But yes. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I don't know. I mean, no, there was, I a lot, really... there was a lot I was going to reveal, but I'm like, you know what? I'm not going there. I defend Love I'm, Actually I'm in, suffering. A, in a like hungover and not going to change the channel, settle for it kind of way. I love Love Actually. It's one of the very first movies I saw in the United States with my own money. Even the creepy guy with like his friend's wife. I'm like, first of all, which one? That is, the, that, I mean, okay. There are so many creepy subplots. In yeah, exactly. There's it's only like, creepy subplots. The only good, <laughs> the only like good subplot is the porno people one. Sure, sure, okay, fine. But like, I'm, I'm like, that's like one, one plot out of like, you know, many creepy like dude shows up on your porch, declares his love after you have. Like, yeah, obviously. Done welcome to like shitty rom coms. Uh, not defending the genre. I'm just telling you, me and Chris. Matthews have good taste. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, I don't hate. We're I'm not cutting hating. all I'm of just... this off. I'm not talking about love, actually. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um. What's going on this week, Anne? Well, I am really excited that Ivanka is finally seeing some backlash in a real way. She's the most dangerous surrogate Trump has. 
Because she keeps pretending that she's not doing anything bad. Are you starting to regret? I was thinking about this. Our, our Ivanka's dad construct placing more importance on Ivanka, who is the most dangerous person. Um, I don't regret it. One, because I think it's a good joke. And <laughs> two, we were operating on limited information. Okay. Who was it that said, was it Maya Angelou, Dr. Maya Angelou, as Oprah calls her, who said, when people show you who they are, believe them. I thought that was an Oprah quote. <laughs> no. That Oprah, is frequently attributed to Oprah. Yeah, because Oprah is always quoting her own mentor. I'm wow. pretty sure it's Dr. Maya Angelou. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's like when people show you who they are, believe them. Ivanka has shown us that she's a monster, so I believe her now. Here's my main problem with her. Besides the fact that she's like the surrogate of like a racist, xenophobic, homophobic candidate. She pushes that like fake empowerment stuff. You know, it's like her brand is essentially like sheet dresses for women who go to work <laughs> and oh, cocktail parties. Totally. Shoes that are you definitely going to give you blisters by hour four. Totally. Yeah. Like that thing. And then, you know, she pushes this like... I'm a working mom, but I work and here's all this stuff. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, that's all well and good. But she like lied spectacularly about her father's position on child care and then tried to say that like Hillary Clinton doesn't care about like child care. And, and then moms. got very angry when it was pointed out to her that all people who need parental leave are not women who've just given birth. Like maybe there's other people. Totally. Who it. It's like so telling that there's like, one party in this country that thinks that like only mothers need to recover from birth and that there's not another way to be a parent yeah, or to get help for it. But also like, she's just fundamentally dishonest. And so my feeling about this is, you know, it was like, it was cute while it lasted. I hope her entire empire turns into ashes and there is nothing left because she's a dishonest person. Well, so there, there is a woman who is organizing a boycott of Ivanka Trump's workwear brand and all of the many, mostly department stores, but also places like Amazon and Zappos that carry all of her stuff. I support this 100%. You would like not catch me dead in an Ivanka dress, so I have nothing to boycott. But <laughs> what you wear and where you shop, it's like part of the story of who you are. And so... I hope that it will hurt her in the wallet because she's hurting people uh, where it matters to them. That's right. The campaign is called Grab Your Wallet. Oh my God. So like grab them by the pussy, but grab, grab them by the grab, wallet. Grab Ivanka at least by the wallet. Like, That's right. N- no mention of uh, boycotting her dad's hotels, although one has to assume that if you are boycotting Ivanka's shoes, you're also not staying at her dad's hotel but um it's pretty amazing they they asked ivanka's chief brand manager which can you imagine a worse job right now than uh. like ivanka's chief brand manager Woo. they asked her about the boycott campaign and she sent she sent a statement to the guardian that said quote we are proud that our business is growing rapidly and that our brand resonates strongly with women who are inspired by our messaging and excited about the polished and chic solution oriented products that we <laughs> offer like you know what is a polished and chic solution oriented like Air quality yeah well and also i was gonna say like not having a like a misogynist assaulting president like that's a pretty like polished and chic solution for me uh, so it's so true also like two different things that i was reading about this week that made me really happy so like the trump hotel brands is opening a hotel for like they're doing a chain for millennials oh my god a what lo- is it called a lot of hotel brands have been doing this now there's like one for marriott and like a couple of other places but 
it's not going to have Trump in the name. Of course, of course. Young people aren't going to live there. And then there was this amazing article. Bigly Sweets? Is that uh, what it's going to be called? (laughs) Oh my God. I'm going to come back to Bigly in a little bit. But the other thing (laughs) is, there was this article, I think it was in the New York Times. I should go back and find it about all of the people in New York who live in those like Trump buildings. Oh yeah. And just how terrible they feel and so much shame. And like, they were like down there talking to a doorman and even the doorman is like, Oh, it's bleak out here. But Also such a bad time to offload your Trump properties. <laughs> like, let's no. Yeah. Real. There's like nothing to be done about it. Okay. I want to go back to the Trump word bigly. <laughs> Here's the problem. <laughs> is it bigly or is it big league? Bigly. Bigly is a real word. No, but like which one is Trump saying? This is like a huge controversial thing right now. Like we don't know if he's saying big league or big league. Are you saying this is a transcription issue that when yeah, people it's write like a, down his stuff, he really totally. Means? And he's so incoherent that like, it doesn't matter which one he's saying, you know, it's like, that's not what brings clarity to the statement. Sure. But on all of his hashtags, you know, Oh my God. Sorry. I just Googled this. And the New York times headline is yes. Trump is really saying big league, not big league. Yeah, according to linguists. You. Yeah. My linguistics friend is who like alerted me to this. She's oh like, it's God. not big league. It's big league doing the yeah. goddesses work and i was like what are you talking about and she's like there was something in like the way i'm like you i don't even know about linguistics i took one class in college i dropped it after four days it was too hard i mean wow okay yeah, but so, like wow right like, wow yeah trump is saying big league because whenever he uh whenever he tweets it he's always like uh hillary hashtag big league lie big league wow. <laughs> truther like it's like a whole but this thing. is what happens when you can't really when you're not you're not coherent anyway yeah it's like, like it doesn't matter that you've been saying one word wrong it the just whole becomes time. like mad libs you know of like yeah. an inserting right it's crazy you know i also went back and i was reading a couple of his older interviews like in um a couple like playboy ones that he did or whatever and the transcripts of them he doesn't have all those weird linguistic ticks that he has now so I'm like, is this because you used to be like more tightly edited so nobody noticed that you that was like all these non sequiturs? Or is he actually like slowly losing his mind and that's why he's talking okay. like a crazy person? I don't sorry, here's an example I just read. Okay, here's a Trump quote about immigration where he says, quote, We're going to speed up the process bigly. We're going to speed, speed up, up the, the process, process big, big league. league. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, that doesn't even make sense. Yeah, but like name another Trump sentence that makes sense. Uh, you don't know what okay. I'm saying. You know, you're right. The, the, the problem is I'm like holding this to a different standard than it can actually plausibly be held to. <sighs> it's so serious. I was talking to my therapist about Trump the other day because it just like it was just one of those days where I was like, ah, oh, I hate how much mental energy I've spent on this person. And then he told me that he's actually seeing this and like all of his patients he's like this is the number one thing that i'm talking about with most people there was also a new york times article about this uh, <laughs> always late on the trend story i mean uh, no 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 like, i think that maybe no, the new york times is behind you on both of these no things. but it's like it was so real and i was like this is making me really 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 sad that you know it's like gotten to that point and he was telling me that he's hearing it a lot from parents of small children He's hearing a lot from teenagers. And after the third debate, just a lot of people had, um, like, especially people who were, like, sexually assaulted or who had of course, um, all yeah. those kinds of, like, things happen to them were really distraught over it. And I was like, how, like, how can one person take up so much space and terrorize an entire country? <sighs> it happens. He's the worst. The actual worst. Man. It's good. It's like good good thing they're like from New York and so the sons like Ude and Kuse can never <laughs> run for office. Because like if they were from like Wichita or like some weirdo right, real America place, 
it's like those two dummies would be like shoe ins for senators. Right. Drump dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> Picture them with like the big beards. Oh man. I don't know, like grow a pair. Like call out things that are wrong when they're wrong in real time. Like don't die on the hill of Ivanka Trump and her dad. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's true. I don't know. I could have this conversation all day too because you can feel like the stakes are really low when it comes to for like to use that Thanksgiving example, like privately calling out your racist relatives. It feels like, okay, like what good does it really do? I think about this a lot. Like people in my family, some of whom have been divorced out. Thank God. Um, wow. People, divorce in jail. When that's the way that God uses to get rid of bad people. In listen, your life. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you know, I was like, I feel like I knew first, you know, one of those things, but anyway, but you know, like, like there, there were some very prominent examples of this, like where I can, I can say that like, I could have chosen to be a low key Ivanka. Um, And it's like, it's kind of hard. Like, you know, I mean, I don't know that if she were to speak out against him or like to totally disassociate herself, if that ultimately does a lot to end his chances at like the presidency or whatever. But it's like, put yourself on the right side of history. You know what I mean? Like, like, but also she has a big platform. Oh no, no, totally, totally. And that's kind of how I feel like, I don't know, in a, in a more subtle, like dialed down into just family dynamics way. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to convince this openly racist relative to change their mind about the world. However, at least I will know I said something or like at least for my other relatives, I've modeled that this is not super cool. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, remember that one lesbian Cheney daughter? Yeah. Who's always telling her family they're trash. Mary. Is it Mary or the other one? Mary. What up? Yeah. You know, like she gets it. Also, my friend Zach wrote a really good piece at Mike. He's a reporter at Mike and he's great. His mother's black and his father's white. So there are people on the white side of his family that are Trump supporters, including an aunt that he knows like loves him and his sister dearly. And he's watched her Facebook like devolve into this uh, Trumpkin territory. And he wrote her like a very real letter that was like, here is what it feels like to me and my sister Mm -hmm. when you show support for him because when Zach's parents got married his grandfather disowned his dad Mm -hmm. you know and so like a lot of Trump supporters actually do have black people in their families and also like you know um, that's the thing that we can all bond over but Zach's piece about it was like very sweet and eye-opening and um, it gave me hope for like how people can talk to people in their family because the other thing about the election is that like we're always fighting and then you forget that like oh we like act like we know these people. <laughs> They're not all of the people that you disagree with politically are not strangers to you. They're people in your life. That's why I really liked the um the Black Jeopardy skit on SNL this week. <laughs> yeah. You know I don't fuck with SNL, but I watched SNL for like the second time in my life and I was really happy that I got to see that. The sketch was great in that it created uh it's like Tom Hanks was this like Trump supporter who was playing Black Jeopardy with like two other black women. And they realize that they have more in common than not because like shocker, like white people with economic anxiety who are at the bottom of the class rung, they actually do have a lot in common with black people. But the sketch itself was like really funny. But that point that it made, I was like, yes, like this is a really important thing to show that is true. Yeah, especially also at this stage when it's like everything about the election kind of like provokes this like ugh feeling in me. I feel like I'm running out of ways to meaningfully engage, not so much with how do we 
make sure that Ivanka's dad is not our president, that kind of engagement, but like engaging with people who just like fundamentally believe different things than I do when it comes to the world. It's a real reminder to keep doing that. Like that's the thing about Ivanka's dad that is scary is that everything that he says is not true. And then you realize that like a ginormous chunk of this country is just like tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist. And you're like, I don't, you know, like that's a hard thing to be able to like discuss or find consensus on or even you know like see the humanity in it, someone and like want to engage with them it's true but friend of the podcast stacy wood studies conspiracy theories and went to a conference for academics who study conspiracy theories recently she had told me a lot of interesting things about it but like then sent me down a reading spiral like about many of the underpinnings of like who are the who are the types of people who are likely to believe a conspiracy theory and like essentially kind of to your point about that jeopardy sketch is to buy a conspiracy theory, like the system has to have failed you in some way, you, you like a, a, a core belief that you had about the way the world should work didn't actually turn out that way. Yeah, but then and, wouldn't that mean that like, like most poor people would be conspiracy theorists or like I mean, all black people are, oh, all black people are conspiracy theorists. I walk back. I cannot be the one to I walk that. back this entire <laughs> statement and this entire logic. No, it makes it. Make, I'm not going there. Again, all the I'm plan, saying is, I mean, there are level, there are levels of conspiracy theorists, obviously, but I guess I'm just trying to say it gave me a no, lot I of compassion you. for the type of person who would, who would find like just outrageous lies somewhat plausible when they're tied together in this compelling narrative no anyway. i hear that and now i'm just thinking about like all my uncles who believe in ridiculous conspiracy i like how you were about to tell me that like yeah i was gonna be like actually we are blameless <laughs> and then i was like wait i, I mean i definitely say, grew up in a conspiracy theory yeah. home but you know culturally approved <laughs> right and I, I grew up in a home where people had like a lot of faith in like systems and government and like had never been fundamentally fundamentally wrong by a lot of this stuff and like definitely we're not believing in conspiracy theories like it totally holds up you know which is not an excuse for like rampant racism or like believing lies or like you know what i mean <laughs> I don't, i'm not i'm not trying to excuse it i just feel like it, it helped me like tap into some compassion and understanding yeah, somebody's got to have compassion for those lunatics. Um, I mean, they're still going to live in America after this election. Not after we have a woman president. Okay. When we I, have women overlords and we send everybody to Gulag. <laughs> oh, exactly. Overladies. Overladies. <laughs> um, I mean, this the, is a thing that people are genuinely afraid of. They're like, when the women are in charge. And I'm right. Like, yeah. But it's like how, um, you know, and. I don't even know which comedian or which like organizer to attribute this to, but that whole like, you know, like, Oh, you don't want to switch places with black people in America. Like maybe you don't think that they have it so great. Like, what do you think is going to happen when they're in charge of you? Like, that's like the matriarchy now, like fears. It's like, what do you think over ladies? Oh, Oh, they're going to do what now? I know. Um, friend of the podcast jamal Bowie had a really funny joke about this. He just recently deleted all his tweets. I'm so mad. I never screen capped it. It was so good. This was like a while ago and I tweeted an observation about maybe the reason that like white people are so anxious about like being called racist or racism charges is because they think that like we'll do the same thing to them totally. that they did to us. And uh, he was like, yeah, they think it's going to be some sort of like Chad Crow situation. <laughs> and I like, lost my mind at Chad Crow. And I'm so upset that it does not live in the world anymore. But yeah, you know, it's, it's like, true. it's like, we don't have time for this. Like, like if you don't want to switch places with someone, like ask about, like ask some deeper questions. Make it better. But you know what? Like, 
Yeah, can't wait for our uh, lady overlords. It's over ladies. Be, uh, over, over ladies. ladies. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Some people definitely getting sent to Gulag. <laughs> I used to, you cannot joke. I'm sorry, but like, I cannot even laugh at like an, like a matriarchy Gulag joke right now. Like, You know what? You don't want to laugh, but you go to the same meetings I go to. <laughs> I cannot even believe. I am just joking, okay? This is like one big elaborate joke. Please don't arrest me. Good thing me. this is a king size bed. I yeah. can put some distance. <laughs> like NSA don't come for me Trump don't come for me is is just jokes oh. Putin if you're listening we do this podcast in the original Russian <laughs> just Putin if you're listening you. while shirtless on a horse call us call, call your girlfriend <laughs> call your girlfriends oh my god you like <laughs> put in the vagenda the vagina agenda aka where we put the put the <laughs> links to discuss the links to discuss and put in this incredible link titled opium soaked tampons were the mitol of ancient rome mitol is not that strong so i yes please to opium soaked tampons if only mitol were a powerful hallucinogenic <laughs> were sold over the counter and we were all allowed to take it oh my god five days a month being a woman is so hardcore can you imagine just like ancient rome baths you're like yo do you have some opium for my vagina right okay okay so get this early tampons early tampons apparently on display at the new orleans pharmacy museum did not know about that um were soaked in opium and belladonna which apparently is not just a stevie nicks album from the 70s uh is something that was there to dilate and relax the vagina dilate and relax the vagina stevie of course so i don't know basically it's like it's a tampon and a suppository like at the same time oh my god the practice goes back to ancient egypt i am so down for this make america great again bring back opium soaked tampons okay when we have an over lady like i do feel like <laughs> opium soaked over the counter tampons are gonna be high on my government agenda oh my god this is such a tangent but like did you read the story last week or maybe a week ago about some like british teen he was mad about all of the the tampon tax stuff and he was like, if women can't hold it until they go to the bathroom, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand why we're like paying for this. <laughs> oh my God. And I thought American sex ed was bad. Oh my God. It was just like, I was like, dog, it's not like diarrhea. Like we're not just like running around. I should find the story because in and of itself, it's funny. I, I just, just Googled British teen tampon tax. Oh my <laughs> God. It. Okay. So it was a British teen. Yeah. He like went on a rant. It was so good. Yeah. Tells me women to quote control their bladders yeah and look at him he looks like maddie b raps except not as cute <laughs> is this something that's just like we're failing our children clips? we're like just failing our children like why do you not know this yeah men he says people have sent him death threats though i don't endorse that just because he does not understand anatomy but aren't you just grateful sometimes i mean i know we were never like as foolish as this teenager but like aren't you just so grateful you didn't have twitter when you were a teenager no i would have never been this foolish <laughs> like this mm-hmm. doesn't apply to me it's and come on like this is a bridge too far <laughs> <laughs>
It's, I'm just saying it is a tampon too far. It is. I'm just saying I didn't have very good sex ed either. <laughs> I didn't have good sex, but you know the difference between you and that teen is that you don't think that your opinion is so important that the entire world needs to know it. I don't know. I kind of make my living giving my opinions to the entire well, yeah, world now. You know what I'm saying? Now. I know, but that tendency was always there. <laughs> uh, no, okay. If I'm perfectly honest, it is true. I am glad that we did not live in the time of the internet because one of the things that the internet does that annoys me is that we don't allow people to change their minds yes. and to evolve in, in their views. Like, obviously that's real, but like, you know who I'm not also going to die on a hill for a kid. That's a fucking meninist. Like, no, <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I, I just mean, update from the daily mail. Meninist has been dumped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Oh no, the Meninist last tweet was, I'll do anything to win my girl back. (laughs) (laughs) The comments are like, you know she has a period too, right? (laughs) And someone else says she's peeing blood in this photo. What's going on in uh, WikiLeaks, Anne? Oh, my God. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Do you really want to talk about this? Oh, I thought you want to talk about this link. That's it. Sure. I mean, but the question what's going on in WikiLeaks has some other implications for this family. Oh, yeah. I like didn't even think about that. Sorry. That's all right. Yeah. I'm being WikiLeaks right now. (laughs) I know. You have been WikiLeaked. Yeah. You know, your girl was in a WikiLeak dome. (laughs) I mean, okay, I have to say, I know that this has not been super pleasant, but I also no, have to say... No, it's been awful. It's, I know, I know. Okay, let's explain to the people what's going on. Please do. So, WikiLeaks is a website <laughs> started by Julian Assange. I just wanted to say his name. You guys know what the fuck WikiLeaks is? Your girl was named in one of the WikiLeaks emails. <laughs> so my life has been hell for the last however many days because I was like on a random press list according to a Clinton campaign press list. A Clinton campaign press list. During the primary. That's right. Shout out to myself. But apparently... <laughs> Seriously, this is a big lifetime achievement. Yeah, I feel. you know what I'm saying? I mean, but yeah, can't enjoy it because... Nope. You People know, don't want to let you be great. Because I'm a corporate whore now, according to many Bernie supporters, who, one, I cannot believe how still upset they are. But also, two, I want to be really clear about the fact that there is nothing wrong for campaigns to talk to people like there's literally nothing wrong in that some people on the list were reporters who like clearly are doing their jobs i am not a reporter or a media person you are a media person just not i guess in the yeah way that they i guess are. now i'm a media person yeah. what's up but um yeah, yeah. during the primary too but like not in the same way sure, as a reporter sure i mean seriously though you're like a public person i'm not a journalist I'm not a journalist and I'm entitled to my own opinions and that's fine. Also, I literally did nothing wrong. Oh my but God. Just yes. because I was named on this list, a lot of men like have come after me on the internet and like try to ruin my life. But you know what? It's okay. Cause I don't see a lot of it, but I've been really surprised at the fact that like this is still going on in the sense that there is a serious faction of people on the internet, like whatever political affiliation that they have, who spend a huge part of their day just making women and people of color's lives um, really, really, really difficult. It is so crazy how like gendered and racialized that abuse can be because I was clearly not the only person on that list. And to see the way that like the hatred has manifested is like very eye opening. 
like I said, your girl got WikiLeaks. <laughs> I know. I mean, and I don't mean to downplay. I mean, it is sort of a very cool life achievement to be like, I mean, oh, not really. It's I am like connected you were in somebody's wait, no. email. No, no, no. But like the fact that like, I don't know. I, I there, there are way worse things to be known for than like I took a, a phone call with a candidate I really support and believe in. However, yeah. the fallout is like, I have friends. I read the internet. I know that these things happen. <laughs> but it's like, it is, it's truly like, it's truly shocking. Like thinking about the Lindy West or like Mary Beard approach of trying to engage people who are doing, who are saying such like terrible, hateful things. That starts to feel all the more incomprehensible to me, the closer that I am to it. Yeah. You know, it's like to me, like just to go back to the campaigning aspect of it, I just, it's like, do we really need to teach this in civics? Like, here's how elections work and here's how politics work. Because here's the thing. If somebody dumped the Bernie campaign emails, they would be just as harsh. What is the Clinton campaign sin? Is trying to win an election? Like, you know, like that's what you're supposed to do. This is what people do professionally. But just people who are on the fringes of political movements who think that they're like very purist and they don't know what's going on. It's like, no, it's a game. Like everybody plays the same game and people play to win. I don't quite understand like what the actual issue is. You know, I was like, if you had like real information that like the press was colluding with campaigns in like really real ways, then of course, like we should discuss journalistic malpractice, but that's not what's happening here. Right. This is some opinion writers. Yeah. It's opinion writers. And it's also the thing where it's like, guess what? Like if you're writing a story about somebody you should probably email them or call them to get a comment from them or to get a quote. You know what I mean? I don't understand quite what the accusation is and what people are upset about. Yeah. And there's also this bigger issue. I know you probably saw the the Lawrence Lessig's response. Oh yeah. St. Lawrence, like he like finally, he like did it. No, I think his response was spot on. This leak is a leak of John Podesta's private email account. First of all, who's John Podesta, Amina? Um, John Podesta is, uh, wait, he's the founder of the Center for American Progress. I'm like, who's John Podesta? And he, and now Hillary's campaign chair. Yeah. And now he's like Hillary's campaign chair. But like, this is like genuinely his like private Gmail account where he is like conducting business. Some of these emails are from even before, some of these emails are from when Hillary lost in 2008. Right, That's it's like, his Gmail address, we Yeah, say. so it's like, imagine if you were a private citizen and your entire email got dumped. It's like, what does that mean? All of the people that you've ever talked about or the people that have emailed you, their privacy is also being compromised. And private email dumps are not in the public interest. It's like, that's the whole point of like all of these sites that say they do government transparency is that we need to see how some of the sausage is made. But in this case, it was, it's really gross what is happening. Right. It's like, it's not like, oh my God, this is revealed a vast like wrongdoing or like conspiracy. It's really just like the kind of mundane stuff that is in a lot of private that emails. everybody emails and about. So there's this one exchange between John Podesta and Neera Tandon, who now runs the Center for American Progress, about Lawrence Lessig, who's a Harvard professor. Who ran for president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And in their exchange, they say to each other, Neera says, I fucking hate that guy about Lessig. And 
John Podesta calls him like smug or pompous. Anyway, they say not nice things about him. And Lawrence Lessig responded on his blog. And he basically says, I'm a big believer in links for the public interest. That's why I support Edward Snowden and why I believe the president should pardon him. But I can't for the life of me see the public good in a leak like this, at least one that reveals no crime or violation of any important public policy. We all deserve privacy. The burdens of public service are insane enough without the perpetual threat that every thought shared with a friend becomes Twitter fodder. And then he goes on to basically say, like, like I respect the work of these people and don't scream at them because of what they had to say to me. And the private conversations that you have with your friends, like saying, like, I fucking hate that guy. <laughs> it's not the same thing as, you know what I mean? It's like people should be allowed to have, like, private and personal thoughts. I bet you there are people who work in the White House right now who like fucking hate Obama and they're there and they talk Which about it. Which is fine. Who hasn't had totally, a boss that you're like, they're smart, but I kind of hate them. No, it's totally okay. <laughs> but the thing, I, I guess like the thing that like makes me really upset about this kind of information being public is like, what's going to happen when somebody leaks a media organization's email? Sources are revealed and just like really actually like consequential stuff this is where we're heading we're like it's going to start happening more to corporations it's going to start happening more to media people and it'll be awful and also it's like what is it like walking around every day knowing that the entire contents of your gmail can get doxxed one day you know like for me at least it's definitely it is changing the way that i email with people but even the most innocent and innocuous things can be interpreted badly oh totally it's like and also just think about the sheer volume in your own inbox and trying to pull out one email and decide like what it means for an election or for a business or for a political issue it's like the answer is you don't know like it's like one tiny also think about how many emails you had where it's like two sentences in the email and then you follow up with like three other conversations where the email thread doesn't have anything in it i mean it's just like it's also without context you know, people trying to think that it they can use it to tell a complete story about anything is pretty crazy. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry that happened to you. It's okay. Um, yeah, girl got WikiLeaks. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep saying that. Um, yeah, it, like it sucks. You know who else got WikiLeaks though? Huma. Our girl Huma. <laughs> What's up? Shout out to Huma. And you know what? Like, here's what I will say about John Podesta's inbox. That man is highly professional. It's like if the worst thing that people can accuse you of is like running a tight campaign and like, you know, having a bomb ass risotto recipe, then <laughs> you know, like you are fine. But the specter of like emails is going to keep following the Clinton campaign forever and ever and ever. I never want to hear the word email in connection to like elections ever again. I mean, I don't know. And this is also one of those things where you're like, yeah, like sometimes like a leak is in the public interest when you're talking about like people colluding to send thousands of Americans into a war that they couldn't really justify. There are things that I do feel are like, um, totally, you know, justifiable in terms of like making them a big deal because they are a big deal. But the timing of this too, it's just like in this stage of the election, like trying to like find, I don't know, like everything is a big story right now. That's mm -hmm. kind of how it feels. It's crazy, but it's also so telling that like Ivanka's dad is like so banana ruse. Then like e even these email dumps, like it's news, but they're not as big as news as they could be. Yeah. So we're doing okay. Stop leaking people's emails. Private email. Apparently a privilege, not a right. Do you want to take a listener question? Yes. Do you have one ready? I do have one ready. Okay, I'm going to read it to you. 
Okay. Hi, Amina and Anne. Like all good feminists, I know that the, quote, friend zone was invented by butthurt dudes who can't handle rejection. Mm, can we discuss the word butthurt I know, for I, two seconds? I find it kind of homophobic. It's very offensive. Yeah. This person says, <laughs> like all good feminists, I know that the friend zone uh, is utter crap. However, a friend of mine is really hurting after confessing his feelings to a girl and being rejected. Obviously, this happens all over the world all the time, but she has continued allowing him to fill the role of a boyfriend and behaving in a way that is making it harder for him to move on. Oh, boy. Just wait. I'm not even done. Let me finish the question. Oh, boy. This girl has somewhat of a posse of such boys who are all being allowed to think that they have a shot with her, but I don't think she is leading them on maliciously. She honestly seems to believe that all these relationships are platonic, but hasn't made any change after realizing she she's hurting people as a baby feminist i'm torn between wanting to support the female tendency to underperceive romantic advances and put this down to a male notion of friend zoning and between seeing this girl continue to reap the benefits of my friend's suffering i'd love to hear your thoughts on this oh my god so much to unpack what are your feelings I feel strongly that the language about the assumptions she's making about what this other woman is and isn't doing and why are quite telling. Like the descriptions of she has continued allowing him to fill the role of the boyfriend mm-hmm. um, and behaving in a way that's making it harder for him to move on. I mean, a lot of that I think is like, I mean, I have to assume that he confessed his feelings and she said, no, I don't want to be in a romantic relationship and with he you. he still showed up. And he still keeps showing up. And it's like, I don't really see how this is this other woman doing something nefarious and awful. You know, like mom Oprah says, you get the love that you think you deserve. So that's Are you sure thing. that's Oprah or Dr. Maya oh, no, Angelou? That's, no, that's <laughs> 100% Oprah. <laughs> I know this because I wrote it down in my journal. Um, Post-it note on the bathroom window. Totally. You know, I think that it's like very, t- it's like obviously like, this person is coming from a place of like all of these men are her friends. So she feels very fondly towards them. And uh, yes, obviously like we all want to protect our friends, but you know, you can't like have it both ways. You can't like discuss the friend zone that your friends have been put into and then say that the other person is the reason that they're continuously stepping into the friend zone. Right. It's like, if you get friend zone once and like somebody still like, let's say that they're actually leading you on because that's another thing that is true. It's like, it can happen. It, it does happen. It's like, people are like, I don't want to be with you. And then they lead you on. It's like, whose responsibility is it to stop the cycle? You have to do that for yourself. You know, everybody feels some type of way about their own romantic life. And like, that's fine. And their friends for sure. And their friends for sure. But I think that in this particular case, the blame cannot unilaterally fall on this woman. It's like it takes two to make those kinds of situations happen. And if she is, in fact, leading them on, then um, it's your friend's responsibility to like get out of that cycle for themselves and not feel used and not feel bad. And, you know, and sometimes that just takes time. It doesn't mean that like you can't be friends with somebody after that. But if you clearly have like very strong romantic feelings for them, it's going to take a while before you can be like real friends. Yeah. I mean, almost everyone is going to need a little bit of distance between hearing intellectually, like you don't want to date me and like being able to actually behave platonically and not continuing to want that. I mean, I think also like a thing that's going on here is 
you know, she says as a baby feminist a few times and definitely as a baby feminist, but like kind of as a feminist in general, there are like things that are easy to understand in like big conceptual ways. Like the friend zone is kind of a bullshit term, (laughs) Um, you know, but then when it comes to the people you care about, like you were saying, it's a lot harder to connect those thoughts. And I think like in this situation, honestly, it seems like this woman is not really part of her world at all. Like she's friends with this guy in the situation. Okay. So then she has to ask the question of like, what does it mean for her to be a good friend to him? Like maybe pointing out, Hey, it seems like it's difficult for you to be friends with this other woman or like, how are you supporting your friend as opposed to how are you like criticizing or criticizing this other other woman woman who like, it sounds like you haven't actually spoken to directly or are not friends with directly. You're just kind of like making a lot of assumptions about what she does or doesn't want. So I think it's like concentrate on being a good friend to your friend. And it's like your responsibility and your care as towards your friend. It's like, you don't have the full picture Sorry to know what is going on, you know, and you can't make like a value judgment on this other woman just because like dudes hang around her. That probably says more about those dudes than it says about her. Right. (laughs) And to say she has not a fair, it's not a fair thing to like pit her against like, you know, I don't know, like feminist praxis (laughs) and like use that as a, you know what I mean? Like use that as a way to like discredit what she's doing. It's like not like not everything has to rise to that level of like scrutiny. Right. So like as a baby feminist, be a good friend to your friend and like you don't need to weigh in on whether or not this other woman's behavior is like good or bad or anything. Um, Just concentrate on asking your friend good questions about like the other relationships in their life and like whether they are hurtful or fulfilling or what. And I think that the answer isn't that. Um, Yeah. And you're right. It's not all about like high level concepts like the friend zone. I know. Friend zone is bullshit though. Way to identify that. It is true. It (laughs) is true. Good looking out, baby feminist. Good looking out. Although she is right. It's like usually, it's usually used like in sort of like a gender, like the the genders are usually flipped when that, when that term is used. Um, I know, which is like, you know, like, which is why honestly I'm making this criticism of like, is it really a feminist thing? And do you feel that way? Because it's the woman that's in that position. You know what I mean? Like in the position of being the rejector, like constantly. So yeah, it's exhausting. It is exhausting. (laughs) Uh, So lonely at the top. Um, Okay. Good luck to you, baby feminist. And tell your friend to like get a hobby, do other things. Oh my God. Yeah, that's true. Do you want to read the next Mm -hmm. question? Hi, ladies. I'm such a fan of the podcast. Here's a question for you. For the first time in my career, I'm hiring people and building my own team. Is it wrong to only want to hire women? (laughs) I think this feeling stems from a mix of wanting to surround myself with other badass ladies, but I also might be afraid of managing men. I work in the tech industry, so part of me is also repelled by the idea of hiring another tech bro to join our team. (laughs) Is this reverse sexism? I don't quite believe that exists, but it's the most succinct way to express myself. Thank you. Keep on being awesome. You are awesome, lady. I won't say your name, but you (laughs) are the awesome one. I love this question. I know. I love this question. I Here's my feeling about this (laughs) in general. I have also hired a lot of women when I have been a hiring manager. And here's the deal. Obviously, I'm not hiring women over men, even though like once we have over ladies, that's what everybody's afraid is going to happen. But I do think that like, especially when you are an industry like me and tech, it's really for me, it was really important whenever I was hiring to make sure that there was always a woman candidate that was in the final pool. Because to me, it spoke more to like we did our job in recruiting. 
and then looking for strong candidates. Like if ever, you know, it like came down to like, there's only three people, like it's like down to the wire. It's like two or three people. If I didn't have a person of color and a woman, I always felt like I had to go back to the drawing board because it meant that like we had not worked hard enough in figuring out the candidate pool. That said, it's like hire the best person for the job. But if like pound for pound, like the resume is the same, the people can do the same. You're like, it's the same cultural fit. Clearly it is nice to like, hire a woman for that position but i don't think that what is going on here is that you're you're building your like lady utopia and like doing reverse sexism so i i wrote an article about hiring and like the desire to hire people who are like you a couple of years ago and i interviewed friend of the podcast sarah milstein who told me she gave me this great anecdote about how she was hiring for a pretty important position and she like got down to her last like seven resumes or whatever her her top picks people to call back for interviews she was like huh these are all 40 something white women who have worked in tech for 10 plus years who like have advanced degrees like basically she had selected seven people who fit her like broad Mm -hmm. demographic exactly her own description so i don't know like that's something that this person writing the letter did not raise the issue of race or gender identity or other forms, other ways you might want, you know, an inclusive team. But like, for me, I think that that red flag when I have been in a hiring position is like, it's less, is it wrong to want to hire mostly women? And it's more about saying like, oh, am I interested in interviewing a lot of women who are like people who are like me, who are, you know, happen to be women, for example. And I do think it's good to check that impulse. Right. It's like if men check that impulse, there would be fewer men that look exactly like them. Totally. And I think especially for white ladies, it's very important to make sure that you're not being like, oh, I'm hiring all women. So this is an awesome progressive team. And then you look around and it's like all white women who are kind of like the same age or like demographically similar to you. Yeah. You know, and I think that like one way in tech at least that you can look at that is to really look at your team holistically and be like what am I missing here you know like what are the roles that are missing like what are the holes that are missing and what kind of ideas are you not getting at the table the other thing that's like good about in general if you're hiring about having like a diverse pool it's also that like you get to hire like people that are often overlooked by other people who are hungrier to work harder you're not competing for the exact same people like in Silicon Valley who are all looking to like fit one description. You're actually doing yourself a favor. I think that that thing about like having viable candidates that are not people that look like you is really important because it really speaks to your company's like strength in like at the recruiting board. It's like what kind of people are interested in working where you work. If they all look like you or they all sound like you, then like your work is cut out for you. Right. And then also asking the question of who do you want or who are your audience or clients or things like that, you know, and like frequently it's like, yeah, you probably want like, I don't know, there are certain examples, um, you know, I can maybe this isn't true at your company, but like probably you want men to use whatever product you're building or whatever thing you're working on too. It's like not just like in some grand way, like diversity is important, but you want the perspectives of like the people who you want your work to reach reflected on your team. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, and then I also think the interesting thing about this question is she had that little aside about thinking maybe she didn't want to hire men because she was scared to manage them. Yes. Which we had the question, there was definitely a few episodes ago where we had a question about managing men. And I do think that that is a legit concern, but also like you're clearly a boss who's in this job for a reason and not to like diminish your own worries. But I think like like, there are some good reasons not to hire men, but that is not one of them. Like I'm sure you would crush it. You'd do great. Yeah. You're as an overlady. You're going to crush it. I'm so excited for you to be a boss. 
You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on iTunes, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can tweet at us at callyrgf or email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. John Podesta, don't email us. Don't tweet. Don't tweet us. <laughs> you can also find us on Facebook. You can look up that link for yourself or on Instagram at callyrgf. Don't send us messages at any of those places because we're not checking them. And because they might get hacked. And you can just email us. Um, but you can leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714 681 2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. This podcast is produced by Gina, Gina Delvac. Sarah Milstein, if you're listening to this, I hope you feel better. 